A great, great afternoon, everyone. Today is another brilliant Wednesday afternoon, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, coming live all the way from the D.C. area. Specifically, I am from the Western Virginia, Northern Virginia area. Thank you for tuning in. This is another great episode of Rethink Culture. This is where we'll explore culture science deeper and today we are going to dig deep into recruiting humanely and ethically. I am your host Mila Dishaw and I'm a culture scientist. I talk about anything and everything that people don't want to hear out of the mainstream and I've got two fantastic guests with me today. I'm going to bring them on. Both of them are fantastic in the HR space. They do their own research. They have got their own companies so that for the uh, do you let me bring on Audrey and Monique? Welcome to Rethink Welcome. Culture. Hi, thank you, Mila. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to hear a little bit about yourselves. Um, you know, introduce yourself. I know Audrey, you're HR, you're in the HR field, and Monique, you're in the HR field as well. So let's start with Audrey, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. So I'm Audrey Watson. I'm owner and founder of a company called BU. Um, I provide uh, career coaching as well as HR consulting services. I also can pride myself in a signature program called HR Game Changer, where I help individuals interested in the HR field transition through untradi untraditional uh, strategies. So thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for being here. I was really excited when we connected and when I learned more about you, I thought, you know what, you need to come on my live show. We need to explore deeper together. Absolutely. <laughs> and Monique, Monique, I stopped you or we stopped, I do not know how I stopped you, but I stopped you on LinkedIn. <laughs> and we got okay. <laughs> so Monique, introduce yourself, tell us, you know, what you do. Okay. Hey, so my name is Monique Arrington. I am the founder of a company called Arrington Case by Case. This is a staffing firm as well as a coaching firm. Um, mainly what I do is I do recruiting strategy work as well as actual palm recruiting for startup tech companies here in the Bay Area. Um, and I do career coaching where I basically transform someone from essentially not knowing what their purpose is to leading them into their purpose and then getting them the job they want through staffing. Um, so it's a two full business. I've been doing it for about 15 years. I love recruiting. It's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So we have got a few followers, very, uh, our faithful followers, <laughs> Vivian, all the way from Europe. She says, hi, ladies. Hello, hi. Vivian. Thank you for joining in and really appreciate your support. And of course, we have uh, Chris as well, and you know he has been a faithful follower all the way from the APAC region, Singapore. Uh, he has been following us for the past few weeks, so thank you for your support as well. And before we start our deep dive show, please do not forget to subscribe on YouTube, like, <laughs> like, and follow us on Twitter as well, because we come live every Wednesday, and. It, Today's topic is, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this. So we're talking about humane and ethical recruiting. Humane and ethical recruiting. So I want to touch on, you know, recruiting humanely and ethically. And I'll, I'll, to start with, I would like to know, has the area of recruiting changed over the past 10 or even 20 decades? Because it seems like it's pretty stagnant. And yeah, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Mm, okay, so recruiting has changed in a lot of different facets, right? Um, one, recruiters are more marketers than they are regular recruiters at this time, um, as well as recruiting comes on now because of that marketing arm. We don't necessarily do the day-to-day -day recruiting tasks that a lot of people think. So like when I was in talent acquisition, 50% of my job was strategy and the other 50 was marketing. 
So it was me going out and looking for talent, building communities. So I would say that's a huge change. Um, 10 years ago, we weren't so worried about employee branding. We were not so worried about marketing. Um, and we're worried about those things now because of things like Glassdoor. Um, another huge change has um, happened in recruiting. I think more recruiters are getting a, sit, a seat at the executive table than they have before because of head of talent roles and things of that nature. Um, but overall, yes, a lot of practices in recruiting are stagnant. Uh, but those are the changes that I've seen. Yeah, and I concur. I concur with Monique. I also want to share that I've seen where um, traditionally recruiting has been on HR, but a lot of organizations have seen the value of employee, employee, employer branding and how, you know, the recruiting is the brand, you know, their initial engagement um, with, you know, attracting top talent. So I've seen where they've actually allowed recruiting to be its own department where they can strategically sit at a seat um, and work with C-suite staff, understanding not only, you know, is it a specialized craft, but also it takes partnership. It's not just the ownership on, on the recruiter. It's not just finding a talent and, and filling a requisition. That is a partnership with recruiting as well as with uh, hiring managers. So definitely it is has definitely changed and evolved. And to piggyback off of what you just said, Audrey, in regards to the fact that it's a seat at the table, a lot of recruiters are still working transactionally, right? 80% of recruiters work transactionally. It's the reason why I left corporate America is because I was seen as a transactional recruiter. It was like, you had 30 reps, go fill those. I'm like, wait, let's talk about strategy. Let's talk about how right. we're going to do this. Let's talk about the, the lack of diversity in your marketing team. Let's talk about these unique things that we have going on. Um, so I would say, unfortunately, even though we have these huge teams of recruiters, just like in HR, they're not empowered to do their job. So that, that's kind of what I just wanted to take away from that. I love a, a quick comment. Uh, Vivian says, I love what you shared regarding recruiting as a partnership. And I want to touch on that as well. You mentioned about, you know, partnership with leaders, partnership with different, like C-suite as well, right? Most of the time as an outsider, and I've been researching this for the past few months where, you know, I, I have interaction with recruiters. It's very touch and go. Like to your point, it's very transactional, right? It's like, it's, it's like, are you worth it or not? You're not worth it? Okay, get out of my way, kind of uh, an outlook. And that's what a lot of people have been expressing to me as I've been researching this. And and how can we put the human back in that facet as opposed to being transactional and being truly a partner, not just with the leaders, but being a partner with whomever that you come in touch with? Because as a recruiter, you are becoming the first point of contact to represent a culture, to represent the company. And you, I think it's a huge responsibility on recruiters to, to, to bridge that gap, right? To bridge that gap, not just in that relationship building, earning trust, but also portraying what this organization is all about. Because the way that I, I treat potential team members to come into this environment is going to like give them the picture, is it a yes or no? So I want to hear your thoughts on that. So my initial takeaway when listening to you, Mila, is when it comes to having the, the human element, it starts with our senior leaders, you know, um, how they're managing COVID-19 right now. You know, those are, that, uh, that are in transition, you are in a really delicate state because you need to monitor organizations how they're managing their employee force, how their senior leaders are portraying as a conscientious leader or not. Um, and so it starts with senior leaders understanding the human element. You may not have answers to everything that COVID-19 has introduced to our economy, but how you share that and transfer that, that, um, that ownership that yes, I'm, I may be CEO, but I don't have all the pieces together. This is new to us. COVID has introduced a lot of state legislation, a lot of um, you know the PPE and how to return to work. So there's so many unknowns and so on, be able to transfer that unknown to your staff, but still operate as a leader. So our senior leaders have to, have to 
set the tone and the brand of how the culture and the people of that organization are able to translate and move forward. So that's where the human element starts. Um, and I've seen organizations, like for instance, I saw today that Microsoft is looking at you know, employees returning, you know, potentially on site next year in 2021. Google is doing the same thing versus the CEO also at Twitter is looking at, they may not even have their employees return back on um, to offices. So it's all about understanding what's happening around you and being mindful of how organizations are handling COVID-19. And those are the employers of choice. Those are the employers that you wanna target because they have the human element and they've mm -hmm. transitioned, they've taken away those uh, you know, uh, big hats per se and has been actually transferable in relating to the people. So that's where human element actually begins with our C-suite. I definitely think that it, it's owned by the senior leadership, but then it's owned by the whole organization. It's how the organization and the employees work on a day-to-day -day basis. Do we treat our employees like humans or do we treat them as if they're just human capital? That's a huge distinguishment and it's going to go into recruiting. So, um, for example, I'll tell you a story of when my last corporate gig, um, I was having a conversation with him and I said, guess what? I go to all all of the candidates that didn't get um, the role and I call them and I let them know why they didn't get the role. Like I don't just send out a one generic email. And I mean, this could be hundreds of people, but I take the time on a Saturday and I will call and I will bring that human touch to them because I know they spent time to do that. You know what happened? My, my organization was like, you're spending too much time talking to people that we're not going to be interested in. So it really comes down to how senior leadership and the company views candidates. And a lot of the time they view candidates as human capital, so they don't empower recruiters to treat them as humans. I don't know any recruiters that want to ghost a candidate. I don't know any recruiters that do not want to represent their brand well. But it comes down to the fact that they're not empowered to do that. They're only empowered. Their real job, my real job as a recruiter, is to my stakeholders, is to to find our engineer and give them the engineer. Everything else, most organizations do not see a value. But the great thing about the people that I see, that I work with now, um, now that I run my own business, is we're working on empowering leaders to treat people like humans. So it starts in the organization. Treat them like humans, then they will go ahead and turn, treat outside people like candidates like humans. Um, that's kind of what I've learned along the way. Um, but you're absolutely right, Audrey. It has to come from leadership. They have to be showing every day. But that's another essential real problem in, in business, right? The fact that we don't see each other as humans when we go into our offices. We are now these professional people that have to act as a professional. Um, I call BS, and I think the main real issue, the real big issue that we have with work in general is we don't understand personal and professional are the same thing. And when you go in that work, you still have the same personal problems. You still have the same personal great, you know, things. So there's an issue with that, definitely. I love what you just said about empowerment and, you know, bringing the human element. Um, that's a huge gap, right? If you're yeah. not treating, it starts with leadership. You need to become a conscious leader, to Audrey's point. Um, conscious, you just don't become a conscious leader overnight. You, you do not go take one hour course or hire a coach for three months and become a yeah. conscious leader. I think conscious, con being a conscious leader needs to start from within, from your heart, from the core. You truly need to understand your humans, your people, right? Even changing narrative. Like, I, so many recruiters are going to be so bloody pissed off right now, but hey, this is no BS session. So, deal with it, everyone so my whole thing is that even we have to change the narrative of even referring to our people as oh they're employees you know they are just a number to your point to yeah. your point Nick, right right and and everyone i do not know i this is something that i can't find out are recruiters operating from a from a stance where are they getting commissions? So is that why they don't? They don't. Oh, you're not valuable to me. So they don't even get that communication out. Yeah. It's it's always like 
so many of my friends, so many people whom I've interviewed, they say, no, I, I don't hear from recruiters. I send out an application and then I get a standard email and then I'll have a phone interview and I, I do not get responses. So that's the gap where I'm like, what, where what's are going on? Yeah, yeah. What's the, if so you are, yeah, so I, I just want to answer that question. The, what's going on is twofold. One, there's two different types of recruiters. There's a staffing agency recruiter who gets commission based off of everyone that they place. So yes, they're coming from a sales side of things. They just want to reach out to people who they can place. But majority of the people that you apply online are actually going to an internal corporate recruiter. Now, internal recruiters are the most worked in most organizations. So an internal recruiter has anywhere between 30 to 60 requisitions at any time. These are within all verticals of the organization. They don't have time to go ahead and get back to you. So when people tell me, hey, you know, I, I applied at Twitter and they didn't get back to me. I'm like, Twitter gets over 500 applications per hour, per hour. So yeah, they didn't get back to you. So there also needs to be a mindset to of candidates and employees. They need to understand, hey, when I go and I apply to an organization, if I do not get anything back, guess what? It's time to move on to the next organization. It's not time to whine and complain about the situation. It's time to empower yourself and go, okay, well, I'm going to go to the next organization that is going to value me. I absolutely hate when I hear people complaining about this because I'm like, why are you sitting waiting around? Go to the next company. There's no point to sit and wait around. Now, I don't believe in ghosting. If I went through a whole interview process and you came on site and you invested time and money to come on site and I ghost you, that is the company's issue. They really need to get their recruiting process together. There's too many ways to make it an automatic response if someone gets rejected. But when you see people getting ghosted from the application standpoint, it's time. It really yeah. comes down to they have too many open requisitions, not enough recruiters. And most recruiters want to get back to everyone. Um, that's just the real, that's just right. the reality. That's a great point. Audrey, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, yes, absolutely. I agree absolutely with Monique. There is the executive, you know, coaching aspect. Um, I'm sorry, the executive recruiting aspect. We have an executive recruiter just for the sale, close of the sale. But ultimately, recruiting as a whole is a sale. It is from the employment branding standpoint, you're selling the company, the culture and all of the benefits and all the other things. But when you, you know, when, to just drive deeper, it's it's all about, you know, when you have that high workload to Monique's point, no recruiter wants to ghost. Um, but at the same time, it's all about hitting the status quo. I have all these positions. I have to update my senior leaders. I have to update yep. the hiring manager. I have to update the candidate. So to Monique's point, I tell my, my clients all the time, you have too much to be doing. To get a job is a job. So yep. you do not yep. have time if you focus on your action plan. You know, if you're doing your networking, if you're doing a lot of the, the techniques that I provide to you, you don't have time to even rest on waiting on someone. Exactly. And you have to be proactive. You have to be proactive in your action plan and you got to keep your eye on the prize and know that you are the prize. I tell exactly. my report, you have to know you're the value added. You're the value added. So if you're not adding value by, you know, moping and groaning, then why does an employer want to hire you? Because you're right. putting all of your emotions on your sleeve and they're going to see that you're no value added, constantly emailing the recruiter, et cetera, that is not giving you any response. Interview is a two way uh, street. It is a dialogue. So if they are not responding to you, then that's, that's a model. Yeah. And so you move on. So again, to Monique's point, it's it's all about being um, active and part of my program, what I share with my clients is how you can be proactive and understand that you have to differentiate and you have to keep moving. You cannot stay, get stagnant under any circumstances. Exactly. I love, I absolutely love this. Uh, so both of you highlighted, you know, stop moping around, stop sitting on your bloody arse, get to it, right? Move on to the next one. And um, interview is a two-way process. I want to touch on this. I want to, oh, I'm such a fan of this topic. A lot of people, when they are looking for jobs, right, they feel that um, it's just they are being interrogated. But interview is not about interrogation. Interview is a relationship builder. It's about having a conversation, right? And I want people to understand that 
the two-way street, right? It's just like dancing. It's just like courting when you found your your other half. You know, it's just not like that your other half came and gave you chocolates and you were like, oh, get lost, get lost, get lost. <laughs> you know? Wasn't that <laughs> you, easy. Yeah, you, know, you responded, right? It, it was a dance. That is exactly how interviews are. You're building a bloody relationship. So I want, but I, I want to hear from both of you, you know, like, your thoughts on how you know people listening out there and they are going for job interviews or you know submitting their resumes some thoughts about you know how the candidate has the liberty to interview as well and i was speaking to a few people last week and i always i, I was telling them you know you have the right to interview as well because you want to know what kind of culture you're going through you know even interview the recruiter ask questions because when you ask questions to the recruiter you find out a lot of things are they a part of the table are they a part of the, the wider diversity decision making if they are not included then it tells something about the deeper culture right so i want to hear both of your thoughts how interview is a two-way street and how can this look like okay so, so you want to go audrey go ahead Oh, no, I was, um, well, what I was going to say, thank you, Monique. Um, I, I, when it comes to two-way street and what I reference it, it's, it's really a dialogue, like how we're, we're having a, a conversation. It's a conversational piece. It goes mm -hmm. back to what you said, Mila, about it being relationship driven. Um, if you find that you, and, and I will put this disclaimer out there, there are a lot of poor interviewers, even as a recruiter, okay? So your job is, as the job seeker, is to make sure that you have some, you've done your preliminary work, meaning you've done research on the company, you look at some of the latest and greatest things that they've done, and you, you want to make sure that you are speaking to what you've been able to research so that, one, they know that you've done your legwork, mm -hmm. um, two, mm -hmm. you're adding, you know, not only what you present as value added, your um, experience, et cetera. But when you do that, it changes the dynamic of the conversation. They're not just, you know, why are you looking for a job and all of these things. And if they're so robotic, it tells you a lot. You listen to what's stated and what's not stated. So all of this happens. In a, you know, conversation is more than what's stated. It's the nonverbal. So if you That's have opportunity that. to do those virtual chats, virtual interviews, listen and learn. If they seem like they're just preoccupied, et cetera, it kind of gives you kind of do say different things. Um, it can be weather related, open, you know, your elevator pitch is on point. It's just so many things that you can do to help change the dynamic of the conversation. But again, that disclaimer still goes that they're just poor interviewers, you know? Yeah, so some yeah. people, I don't care how much you pull, they're still going to be robotic and it's okay because there's so much happening with COVID. It may not even be about you. So I want yeah, people yeah. to understand as a job seeker is not all about you. There's so many elements and layers that people are going through that they may not be as casual in their conversation, but your role is to get as much preliminary details from that, that recruiter so that when you get to in, in front of the hiring manager, you've understood a lot of the culture, some of the things that's faced, you know, if the position has been filled previously by someone and gets a replacement, you want to tap into the why so that you can differentiate yourself in the process. And you're going to get all of that when you have a two-way uh, two street conversation versus just being a bump on the log, um, you know, listen to the monologue and interrogator, and then in the conversation with no details, you haven't learned anything from that initial uh, pre-screen, and that's not going to help you. So do what's going to help you, and that two-way street is going to help you. Definitely. And to piggyback what you just said about defining the why, most job seekers have no idea why they're even applying to this particular role, why they're applying to this particular company. So you need as a job seeker, as a candidate, first you need to define what are you doing? Why are you looking for this type of role? What type of company do you want to work for? What are the value propositions that you bring to the table? And then when you get in that interview with the recruiter, that is the best interview that you have is the first round of interview that you have with the recruiter. It says everything about the company. One is really coming in there with actual real questions about the process. Um, so for instance, if you realize that you need to take 
five different rounds of interviews and a case study and two assessments and a test, you are going to realize that they're disorganized and they have no fucking idea what they are doing. If you go ahead and you have a conversation with the recruiter and you start asking for feedback, and you realize that they don't have, they don't give feedback to their candidates. If you start asking the recruiter things like, "Hey, you know, I'm really, um, you know, things that are important to me is, you know, work-life balance," and the recruiter tells you, "Well, I just worked 12 hours last night," you have to right. come in with the things that are important to you, and mm-hmm. then talk about it in the interview. And then when you get right. on site, if you get on site with a hiring manager that does not know how to interview, this is how I, I deal with this. I go. Hey, I came to this interview hoping for a dialogue, for a conversation between me and you. But it seems that it's getting skewed to more of an integration. Can we bring it back to a dialogue so we can have a conversation about the role and see if it's beneficial for both parties? I've had my clients do that in interviews, and it works 150% of the time. Okay? And then, not only that, we need to realize that only... Maybe 2% of hiring managers get interview training. The reason why I started my company, it was based on training hiring managers, how to interview properly, how to dig deep with questions, and then how to find a match. Um, But we have a lot of responsibility when it comes to interviews as a two-way street. And if you Mm -hmm. find that a conversation is not serving you, you get up and you leave. I do not believe in wasting time. I tell my clients if they're in an in-person interview and they're seeing someone interrogating them, they don't like the vibe, they don't like the energy, they don't like the room the way it is. I say, thank you for your time and leave. Leave tables that are not benefiting you guys. Um, You guys have power, you have talent, leave the table. So, okay. I have to stand up and talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, this is like, you took the words out of my mouth. It, it, it's so true because I want all of you and listeners to understand this. You are not dispensable. Even when you're applying for a job, don't yeah. treat yourself as a lowly, like, but measly person, you're not. You have value to Monique's point. Like, and to Audra's point, is if someone is not treating you with respect, get up. It's your time. You are investing time. Don't think that you are this, you know, low person looking for a job and this company is up there. No. And that speaks, if someone is treating you in that way that you are here and the company is up here, then there's a gap. Then there's privilege of power. If someone is treating you as though you are equally seeing eye to eye, it's a dialogue, right? Then humane and ethical behavior is present over that. So I want to highlight two points uh, from our week over here from EB. EB role? Yes. Sometimes the interviews do not reflect the team world. Interviewers have biases, moods of days. To both of your points that you mentioned, but I want to touch on biases, right? Uh, shortly and then we also have another comment coming from Eva Wall as well value yourself whatever your part circumstances if they don't match exceed that in you get the bloody hell out yes, I just get, get out get out get out get out and role janitor or CTO belonging matters fit matters I like to challenge the, the narrative of fit I, I understand where you're coming from belonging matters but I feel that it's the the collaboration matters because sometimes even when we say fit, it, it's like conforming to expectations. You have to be us. You have to do this. So I'd like to highlight, I love your point, Ibi Wall, but I'd like to challenge that fit into collaboration matters. Um, but I want to touch on something that really sparked, like as, as you were saying, biases and challenging right so this brings me to the next question as to what we're talking about they need to feel empowered how how can diversity play a part in recruiting well diverse so it all comes down to stakeholders and leadership what they want from recruiters most recruiters Mm -hmm. are basically given a, a, a plate like we need 
these openings and we need these type of people. So I worked for an organization that wanted women and their engineering team. So when I went, I would go to all women conference networking events. I would go to meetups. I would go looking for women in tech. So recruiters have a lot of say, sort of, in the diversity. Uh, because mm. if a, a stakeholder is saying, hey, I need diversity in my team, I have 25 men and I would like one woman engineer, then then the engineer, you know, the recruiter has power to go out and do that. But the biggest issue in diversity of recruiting is diversity of thought. The biggest issue that I have when I'm working with people and I have a rock star candidate and I can't bring them on, majority of the time, the biggest issue I have is diversity of thought. We have a huge problem where people don't want to think differently within an organization, even though this professional can do the job. I always go and I battle with hiring managers and say, it's not about you liking this person. It's about this person doing this job well and being able to bring value on a day-to-day basis. Um, And unfortunately, with diversity, that's not always the top of line for most hiring managers and recruiters. Yeah. So for me, when I look, think about diversity and I've definitely been corporate recruiting roles for, you know, a lot of my time of being an HR professional. And I will say that diversity goes back to my uh, initial point about starting with senior leadership. I hate to keep driving that, but it does, because what I find find oftentimes is, you know, they look at the employee base and they see that they have diversity. But for me, when I look at an organization, key diversity is what I see in your C-suite. If your C-suite is not representative of diversity, then you lack diversity. You're not bringing in diverse uh, you know, cultures, et cetera. And another thing I see as a key player, if your learning and development uh, do not reflect diversity training, because a lot of the bias and the unconscious bias come, comes in from lack of training. So when I look at organizations that do not promote, you may, I just left a actual, um, every now and then I like to join virtual um, recruiting events. And I like to, you know, go on site and look at different career fairs and just see how things are going, you know, now that I'm out of that arena. And a lot has not changed. Everyone wants diversity, but what is your true activity? Not just having you know, a diversity career fair or something where I got a, a, a email, actually, I guess I'm in their database from this large company because they're targeting diversified um, applicants. But when I look at their culture and I look at this their C-suite, when I look at some of the, the Glassdoor and the Fairy God Boss uh, websites and I see these reviews of how diversified employees are forced out because of the unconscious bias and the activities that they've actually been subjected to, then that, you know, really, what do you want your diversity to look like? How are your policies set up? How are your, your culture events set up? You know, how, what are people saying about you? All of that together cultivates what your diversity efforts truly are. So as of, as of those that are in transition, really look at that. Again, now, just because it's COVID-19 era and just because we have over 6 million you know, people unemployed, you are still valued. You are yeah. still the yeah. value added. So right. really look at what they say, look at what they're doing and look at how, you, how you're treated during the candidate experience. And that'll tell you really how diversity is really valued. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Another standing up post. I I think I think something that we didn't brush up on though is with diversity must come belongingness and inclusion. If those things are not a part of it, it doesn't matter what the recruiter does as far as getting diverse candidates. They're going to be pushed out in the first six months because they don't feel like they belong or they have or if they're inclusive. So most organizations haven't even defined what diversity is what that right. looks like for them in their organization. They right. think diversity is basically three black people, two Chinese persons, and one Spanish person. And they call it a day and they say, hey, our teams are diverse. But they don't realize diversity also means classes, different classes, it means different ages. That's the biggest issue that I have in startup tech is ageism. That's like, once you hit 45, your career is basically over if you're trying to look for another role. So the definition of diversity needs to be defined first for an organization. 
um, and then embraced. And then a recruiter can do their job and basically go out there and find the right diverse, diverse candidates. So I love what you just said, right? Having, uh, you know, a few black people and then two Chinese people and one Spanish people. Oh, I look at that as tokenism. I've it is. been in so many spaces. Where, yeah, I've been in so many spaces where it's like, are you truly wanting diversity or are you just putting a person to check the bloody box and say, this is it, you know, and not really include their voice, their thoughts, their practices, their lens into decision making. And it becomes ethical, humane decision making as well. Everything is tied together. It's not an isolated team. I always tell people this. Diversity is not an isolated team that belongs in the bloody basement. No, it's yes. an integral, holistic practice that needs to be integrated and has to be integrated in every facet of your organization, from C-suite to middle management to recruiters to every single thing. If you don't embrace diversity, it's going to trigger off too many types of biases, unconscious, conscious yeah. bias, conscious discrimination, negative bias, right? Social exchange bias, everything is going to come into place. And most importantly, it's going to promote groupthink. Groupthink kills innovation, kills creativity, kills diversity. It promotes a dominant culture. It promotes a privileged culture. So I just had to say that. <laughs> I think everything you said was so spot on. I love exactly. it. I think it's a hundred percent right. Yeah, I love that. It's yeah, um, no, it's it's. I I love what you're all saying, and some of the things that I want to tap into. Uh, I know that we don't have much time left, but how can I want you to like ask these questions? How can someone like I know it is a responsibility of everyone in the organization to shape that culture, right? to shape the culture of recruiting, ask questions. Uh, Audrey, you mentioned about you know policies as well, and that is such an important facet, right? Making policies impacts positively or segregate negatively. Yeah. And for someone to, to be in that position of, I call it power, power is when you have the platform to make a decision and impact for the positive for people who are there regardless of their age regardless of gender how they look like how they sound like right whether they have got an accent no accent whatever it is to impact them in a very positive manner how can diversity become integral in the first point of contact I think it comes down to the type of conversation that you're going to have with the individual mm -hmm. um, and then bringing up the diversity point. I'm not scared of that word. So when I have a conversation with my candidates, I talk about the landscape of our office. I talk about, hey, where are you from? Um, you know, what do you do? Who are you? I think really having that first conversation with a candidate and really bringing up diversity and really understanding their biases and your biases, that's how you can really make it, you know, a part of your first contact with someone is bringing it up. A lot of the times we just don't want to talk about race. We don't want to talk about diversity. Um, I think we have to bring it up. And, and to her point, I, I also think, because um, a lot of times you may not get that initial conversation or that pre-screen from a recruiter, you may just need to go to the website of the organization of choice, the employer of choice that you're targeting and see what their website is saying. Um, look at, you know, when you go, if they want to introduce their culture, because a lot of companies are now creating these videos and you get to actually engage you kind of you that's another first point what is your impression when you get on your employer of choice and i'm saying employer choice that you're targeting that you think adds value to your life when you go on their website what does their social brand tell you their mm -hmm. social brand and it should be updated if you go on their facebook and they haven't posted anything since 2018 and it is now 2020 with all the things that's going on that tells you a lot because you really want to do your research is what I talked about earlier. You, you're, you're researching that employer. Um, and even if you are gainfully employed and your COVID has kind of, you know, juggled some thoughts and you're, you know, looking, you're kind of in transition of where you want to make your next home. You really just want to make sure that you 
um, engage as much on LinkedIn, different employees that's there, have informational sessions, because not all the time you're going to get the platform where you're speaking with the recruiter. But if you do your due diligence with some informational sessions that you're able to obtain, that could be another um, way of getting firsthand information as well as reviews on Indeed. There's reviews on Google. There's reviews on Fairy Godboss. There's also on um, another platform, which is just um, uh, Blastdoor. <laughs> Those are other first contacts and really see you know, some of the information that's being shared, because if someone is is a diversified employee and they've been impacted, they're going to give you some 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 information to let you know how they were treated. And that's going to be really, really detrimental um, as when it comes to diversity and how you want to target your service. Yeah. The one thing I do want to say to that point about going on their website, I am the person that do that does those employee branding websites. I am the person that spends thousands of dollars to make it look like our organization is diversified. Do not believe those videos. Do not believe the websites. Do not believe any of that because I, as a recruiter, as a person employee branding, I spent seven hours, eight hours trying to figure out how I'm going to showcase our diversity per my stakeholders. So I would say that's probably one of the worst things to do is to go on the website and look. I would say the one thing I would like to see is if they have a board, I go and look at the diversity of the board. I go look at the diversity. That is the most telltale sign that if they empower women within their organizations, if they empower people of color, um, that's the only sign that I see. I don't care about the employees. I want to see, are your board members diverse? Are your C-suite people diverse? Because if all of the employees are diverse, but they don't have board members, key players, then it's fruitless, right? So I was, I just wanted to make that point because so many people are like, oh, Monique, I went to the website and I see like all these cool black people and Asian people. I feel so like, I feel like it's so great. And they get into the organization and they realize, guess what? You're never going to be a VP. You're never going to be a board member because it's never happened. And they're yeah. never going to be diverse. So being diverse at all levels, because you know, we know board and VPs, these are the people that are making the bigger decisions for the rest of the work. So um, I just needed to say that because I'm always getting told, hey, they look diverse on the website. I'm like, no. <laughs> well, to that point, I, I wanted to share also with, I, I've been on the other side too. I've been on the side where I've actually uh, created those videos. I work with third party vendors. Yes. I've actually looked, I've, uh, you know, I as a, is anyone going to a website, you want to click, most companies have their leadership and some of them even have pictures. So just yes. add a little bit up to Monique's point. Yes, they will show you can, and but physically seeing someone doesn't always tell you that they're diverse. Um, there are a lot of different things on their social media platform that's going to share, that's going to provide you if the company is diverse. And so, you know, I, I just, when I say go to the website, it's all about doing your research. It's all about you gathering the value that you're targeting, what's going to be the best for you. So when I said that, just to add into my point about the website things, it, it does tell you a lot about the company and just continue to do your due diligence. I, I absolutely love this. And to both of your points, it's such an important thing, right? I want to add another layer to the diversity piece. I always go onto LinkedIn and I look up people who are working in the organization. Right. That's it to be from the entry level to, to mid-career to who are in management positions and who are in the C-suite level positions. And when I reach out to these people, I, I always put it in such a way that I like to speak with you to come on my podcast. Because then that's also giving me the the no as to are they willing to have a conversation are they willing to be open who are they connecting with who are they dismissing from connecting with on linkedin right i've seen so many people do that like they'll dismiss me and say oh no your podcast is not that does not have many followers so when someone is like the nuances the nuances of how you treat someone else who's not in your company or who's not related with your company tells me a lot about someone I, and I also take into consideration maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe, yeah. you know, whatever mm -hmm. is going on. That's the human element. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I always, like, give them, like, 
three or four goes and then on the fifth go if they're treating me like that and someone and and if they choose to like go or connect with someone else who doesn't look like me doesn't sound like me but looks like them and sounds like them and agrees like them and things like them then i know this is not the relationship that i like to build but at the same time i truly believe in in humanizing conflicts humanizing polarizing thoughts because that is what makes all, all of us unique that is what makes an organization grow a community grow because whatever that we are seeing at very very mini levels micro levels mini macro levels it expands whatever happens <clears throat> excuse me at home right happens in religious congregations happens in our communities happens with family and friends and when we extend that lens wider it happens in the workplace it happens as like political leaders and then it grows we are as a person we need to challenge ourselves right and to both of your points from the beginning of this conversation you said that conscious leadership starts from within starts with us we need to understand how we are as leaders at home with our souls and then as the lens grows in our schools at homes with our friends and family religious groups whatever community groups workplace and then at a wider larger sense if you're running for governor or mayor or whatever senate you know it's going to trickle down how you are as a person is going to trickle down so i wanted to highlight that point before we go let's give hope to people and <laughs> What can we do as both as recruiters and as candidates to, to promote ethical, humane recruiting? Because re recruiting is everyone's responsibility. And even if we see something is not right, we have to say that's how we make an impact. I want to hear both of your thoughts on this. Definitely. I think there's a lot can be done, right? I think for a recruiter's standpoint, we need to be human. And we need to go back to our C-suite if they're telling us to do things that are unethical or inhumane to let them know that we're not going to do that, that we're going to choose to do the right thing. Um, I, as an employee, did that over and over in my career. I chose to be human regardless of how the organization was. So one is that. And then working with like HR as a recruiter on policies to create that that flow of human interaction so for instance in my last company client that i work with they created a policy saying that all people that apply have to get responded in 24 hours and they either need to be told that they're going to move into the process or that they're not going to be moved into the process and if someone says hey why didn't i get moved in the process they're allowed to give one sentence on why based off of the job requirements right so just building policies, I think, will help for the recruiter. For candidates, I think it's time that they start empowering themselves. And when they're in a situation that they feel like is unethical, that they ring the alarm. So they don't just go home and write an article on a glass door, write a review on Indeed, that they go and they write an article to the CEO and say, look, these are all of my skill sets. I'm a great catch. I would have been an amazing engineer, but I will not be moving forward with your organization or even going and telling my friends about your organization because of the way I was treated. Let me tell you, you do enough emails to the CEO, they will change their policies as candidates. But you have to ring the alarm. I think there's a lot of us complaining and whining, but we're not complaining and whining to the right people, to the people that actually can create change. Um, so I think that's what candidates can do. And for me, when I think about as recruiters, you know, I, I ask that you take a seat back and remember that you could be on the other side of the table. Um, you know, a lot of people are in transition, not by, you know, their own regard. And so imagine if you've been applying and you've been networking, and engaging and, you know, you have been a recipient of being ghosted, et cetera. So being human is just really putting yourself in the other shoes of somebody else you know if someone is reaching out to you because you phone screened them just now been two weeks what do you what you know 
when you look at your ethics as a human being, you know, how would you like to be treated as that, you know, in that type of situation? So, you know, those are things as a recruiter, as a as an HR professional, you always have to look at the other side. It's so it's so easy to always look at the hustle and bustle, the busyness of your day, that you're you know disconnected of what's going on the other side. And from a a, a candidate aspect. Again, you're going to be you're you should be so busy researching and moving forward in your life that you're not, you know, so overwhelmed by whether you get a response or not. And you also, like I said, researching the company, you want to make sure that you are asking, you know, going back to that two way street conversation that you're getting as much information as you possibly can so that when you engage in that in that one on one discussion with a hiring manager, you're really showing that you've done your research and that you can really probe them to find out what type of leader they really are. So you can walk away making a decision if they present an offer, you can either say yes or no, because you know your value added. So those are some of the key things that you know that at the end of the day when you go home that you've uh, you've accepted an offer that you know that you can make good on because you've done your due diligence. So those are the key things that I would say to put the human element back that you're putting yourself first as a candidate, but also being mindful that it's not all about you at times that you have to just, you know, look at what things are. If you, I, I, I will share this quick story. I, um, when I had the interview yesterday with uh, this, this company, and, and again, it's all about pivoting now with my business. And this person reached out to me because they like my profile, my background. You know, they went on and on and on about the company. And, and I had to say to myself, is this some place that I really want to work? Because as a recruiter, I'm recruiting and I know the game and I know when there's a bunch of BS. And I also know when you're really not happy with what you're doing, your monologue and things that I was able to ask, it didn't go anywhere. I didn't feel like a human. I felt like you were just checking the box and that I wasn't able to, to, to really understand what you're targeting for this role. So again, knowing your value, you're definitely gonna be in tune into what you want. And at the end of the day, that's what, what you wanna go forth with. I love it. Thank you both for being here and sharing your insights, your expertise, and you know, really exploring, getting into this deep dialogue. I love it when, when you know, we can have dialogues like this, and really talking about real stuff, right? No, no bloody bullshit, and just rolling it, because there's so many people trying to cover things, sugarcoat things. But when you're recruiting, when you're joining an organization, it's like marrying your partner and going into a new family. Yeah, That's yeah. how I look at it. Or when you're getting adopted, right? When you're getting adopted and going into a new family. And people always say work is not family and family is not work, but it's people. The main factor is people. You want to interact with people you want to have that connection yes not everyone gets along but also having that conscious level as even when we don't get along how can we humanize this right mm -hmm. humanize conflicts humanize polarizing thoughts humanize the fact that we are here for a common mission and also embrace that individualism that everyone brings if everyone is a gingerbread man i'm very sure everyone is going to fall sick because not everyone can eat gluten not everyone can eat sugar and butter so we need to like rethink culture and we really need to rethink everything hold on i want to still speak with both of you before we go offline but to audiences listening viewers this is culture science and you know we explore culture science deeply Everyone is at 12pm. I'm really just sure your culture scientist. And thank you, Audrey Watson and Monique Arrington, for being on today's Culture Science Explore. Thank, thank you. you. So thank, you for, thank you for having me, Mila. You're welcome.